with that, we're going to continue our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And um, we have this week and next week, and then we'll be done with the book of Ecclesiastes. And, uh, and then we're going to start the book of Colossians. So uh, I've loved the book of, of Ecclesiastes. It's been uh, just awesome. And, uh, but all good things must come to an end, including the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know. I'm always excited when one book ends. I'm, I'm a little sad, but then we're starting a new book and I get all excited. So I don't know if I'm sad because we're going to be concluding the book of Ecclesiastes, which I've thoroughly enjoyed, or I'm excited because we're going to be starting the book of Colossians. So one of the two. Um, it's a blessing. So if you will, um, I'm going to uh, begin this morning by reading our text today. So, church, would you listen as we read the inerrant word of the living God? Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7 through chapter 12, verse 8. Light is sweet. And it is pleasant for the eye to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart as in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain in the days when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. Those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity, vanity, vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let me uh, begin our, our, our message today with just a, a review of where we have been. The author, the preacher, we've identified him as Solomon, has presented us two ways to live. And one way of living is the life of wisdom. And the life of wisdom prioritizes the God who made us. In this life, one rejoices in all of the provisions that God has given us. We rejoice in food and friends and beauty and sex and achievement. All of these things are given to us as gifts by God. The wise life, in, the, in this wise life, those 
elements are to be enjoyed, yet none of them are to be viewed as ultimate. None of them are the meaning of life. Achievement, success, those things are all gifts of God, but none of them are ultimate. This is the wise life. That's the first way of living. The second way of living is the life of folly. And in the life of folly, one prioritizes the voices of culture around us. These voices declare that God is the hindrance of a full life. God is the problem. Are you unsatisfied? It's because God has restricted certain things. It is God is the cosmic killjoy. Fulfillment in life so the voices say, will come when you ditch your Creator and pursue your own desires apart from the voice of your Creator. It is God who is keeping us from experiencing the fullness of life. If you follow His, his laws and His commands, there is, no fullness, there is no fullness. Actually, He is keeping you from enjoying and expressing and experiencing all that life has for you. That is the life of folly. This certainly echoes Eden, does it not? Half God said the serpent voice to Eve. And then he says, for he knows that in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will be like him. God is holding out on you. If you just go your own way and experience your own desires, then you will be fulfilled. This, the preacher said, is the life of folly. And it stands in contrast to the life of wisdom, which says all of these good gifts that God has given are to be enjoyed, but don't make any of them ultimate because God is ultimate. So those are the two ways of living that the preacher has presented to us in this, I would say, the second half of the book of Ecclesiastes. We have summarized um, the words of the preacher in um, these, the past couple of weeks, we have seen two big commands, and the first one is be wise, and the second one is to be bold. We saw this last week. People take a risk. The life of faith is not a risk-free life. Um, faithfulness to God may, may not always go as smoothly as you might want it to or you might perceive it ought to go. But be bold. Take, take a chance in pursuing the things of God. So be wise and be bold. Today, as we preview and consider where we're going to go, we have two more um, commands or imperatives. And the first one is to be joyful. And the second is to be godly. The preacher is going to provide for us a word to the mature. So, And I just said that to be kind of politically correct to us old folks. Um, I just said mature because I guess that's nicer than saying all us old people. But I said old people anyway, so... A word to the mature. And then he gives a word to the youth. And to both the mature and to the youth, he calls us to rejoice in whatever stage of life you are in. And then he will conclude with a poem that is mostly direct, directed to the youth, but I think is applicable to all ages. And he, in the poem, he is directing us, all of us, to remember our Creator. And I will say that this 
passage of text today concludes the body of the book. Next week will be our conclusion in the book of, uh, of Ecclesiastes, and it's more of an epilogue, a summary, if you will, of the book. So this is kind of the last part, the last section of the body of the book of Ecclesiastes. Next week will be the epilogue or a summary where the, the preacher puts everything together and gives us a summary of the book. So we've looked at a review, two ways to live. We, we've looked at a preview, be joyful, be godly. So let's consider this first command to be joyful. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eye to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. So to the mature, rejoice. The call is to rejoice in the days that God has given you. Enjoy life. We've seen that throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. I know sometimes we have this very pessimistic view of the book of Ecclesiastes because the preacher goes to some really dark places, but then he balances it out and says, Rejoice! Enjoy life. Enjoy the things that God has given you. Remember that which is sweet. Remember that which is pleasant. Rejoice in the goodness of life. And I know that as we age... We tend to grumble. We are forgetful of the good years we have been given. And for those who are more mature, let me just encourage you. I don't know if I'm in the youth. I'm not in the youth thing anymore. But I don't know if I'm quite in the old thing. So I don't know if I should say us. But anyways, I'll just say us. As we age, we tend to grumble and we tend to be forgetful of the good years that God has given to us. But church, as we age, think about this. We have been given more time, more opportunity to experience the faithfulness of God. You have seen God take you through the valley of the shadow of death and bring you out the other side. You have seen miracles provided for you by the God in heaven. You were hopeless and you saw no way forward and God opened a way. You've seen that. You've seen that for more years in your life than the youth have. Rejoice! We should be joyful men and women because we have experienced the grace and the kindness and the faithfulness of God even when we were in pain, when we hurt, when we were sorrowful, when we uh, suffered loss. We saw the faithfulness of God that we could lean upon Him and He was strong and He was steadfast and He did not fail in those times when we were weak. And we have Countless examples of those things. As we age, we gather up these experiences of God's faithfulness. So rejoice in the faithfulness of God. Not all is light. Not all is sweet. The older we get, the more joyful we should be. We should be men and women who praise God from whom all blessings flow. But as I said, not all is light and not all is sweet. Not all is pleasant. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. 
those who are mature. We have much to be pra- to praise God for. We have an abundance of great things that God has done for us. We have a a, a list, a menu, a, a an inventory of God's faithfulness. But we also realize that there are some dark days ahead of us. This is the reality. And like I said, sweetness is not the entirety of life. I, I love the preacher in Ecclesiastes. He doesn't just give us one side of things. He just doesn't give us the after. Well, if you serve God, everything will be great. No, he says there are going to be dark days in front of you. There are going to be challenges for you. And so the preacher balances his his admonitions. There is no expectation to simply live in the past as though the present is unreal or that we can expect a life free from difficulties. The reality of difficult times, though, are not to become that which permeates our entire being. Enjoy life as long as you can, is what the preacher is saying. Life is vanity. All that comes is vanity. That's actually an encouraging for the believer, an encouraging statement. We have defined vanity as that which is transient, that which is passing, that which is like a mist, a vapor. It's here for a moment and then gone. All that is coming is vanity. Those difficult days, they are a mist. They are transient. They are going to quickly come to an end. They are not permanent. Praise God. The one who fears God can face the challenges ahead. The hard days hopefully will make um, the good days even better. But even if you have hard days, know this. They're going to end. You're going, well, that doesn't sound encouraging. But for the Christian, those days come to an end. And then you are in the presence of the living, eternal God who is faithful for all those years and you will be rejoicing in his presence. Those dark days that we are experiencing, church, they are vanity. They are a mist. They are not the entirety of your life. And so the entirety of our life, we have seen God's faithfulness. Yes, there are difficult days that we are going to experience, but know this, they're a mist. They're a vapor. They are here today and they are gone tomorrow. And the end is that you will stand before your creator. And if you are a follower of Christ, you will stand before him and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. These days are a mist. Today, maybe one of the greatest idols of our age is the fountain of youth. I think I read something like $18 billion was spent last year on elective surgery, elective cosmetic surgery. Liposuction being number one. Dermabrasions, all the stuff to make us young. None of us want to grow old. We at least want to put on the facade that we are not aging. And we do a lot of different things. It may be one of our most significant idols. And we bow at its altar and we offer it as our sacrifices. And then the word comes to the youth. And the youth are not exempt from the idol of youth. 
And the word now comes to the young. And to the young, again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice, O young men. Rejoice, youth. The young are also slaves to the idol of youth. They are tempted to exclude the, the older or different generation. C.S. Lewis would call this chronological snobbery. Oh, that generation before me, they didn't know anything. They messed everything up for us and it's up to our generation to fix the mess that they made. If it weren't for them, everything would be better. Boy, if only that generation was as great as us. Then things would be smooth. Well, I hate to tell you that there is going to be a generation after you who's going to think that you messed everything up. To the young, again, I say rejoice. Do not idolize. Do not grow and bow at the altar of youth. Do not commit the crime of chronological snobbery. Rather rejoice while you are young. It does not say rejoice because you are young, but rejoice while you are young. Rejoice during the time of your youth. In other words, this is the time to put theological foundations in place as early as possible. But ultimately, young and old, we are to be men and women of joy. And so the young are called to rejoice. The aged are called to rejoice. And then we see this. And it's, it's directed towards the youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Many people have uh, looked at the book of Ecclesiastes and thought that the author is schizophrenic because he says this, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. Wait a second, walk in the ways of your heart? That doesn't seem to fit with what the preacher has been saying all along. Follow your heart? Wait, I thought the Bible told us not to follow our heart. That that's a, that's a deceptive idea. And now the preacher is saying, follow your heart? Is he being inconsistent? I don't think so. We need to take the entire book of Ecclesiastes to get at the heart of what the preacher is saying. This is one of those classic examples of a verse that somebody can rip out of its context and make it mean what it does not mean. Look, the Bible says, just follow your heart. Whatever your heart says to do, do it. And I feel and my heart says that I should abandon my kids and abandon my family and go chase after glory in some other place. Because that's what my heart says. And the Bible says right there, follow your heart. We need to read the entire book of Ecclesiastes and we will understand that the preacher is in no way saying just do whatever you want. Here's how we're going to understand this passage of text and it is not inconsistent at all with what the preacher has said. We saw that both wisdom and folly are matters of the heart. In chapter 9, verse 2, following one's heart that inclines him to the left, that is, towards folly, towards that which is less important, to that which is less honorable, 
a heart that does not consider one's creator is a foolish heart. But the wise heart, the wise heart is the one that considers his creator and places a priority on the things that the creator has given priority to. The entire first half of this book highlights foolish hearts pursuing that which is empty, that which is vanity. The foolish heart has pursued money and fame and art and and celebrity and passion and all of these things and all of these um, all of these come when they are seen as ultimate they do not satisfy that is the prototypical fool according to the preacher but the one who is wise in heart is the one who has placed his creator as his priority and considers his creator God Almighty as ultimate And so he has a transformed, a renewed heart. A heart that is after the things of God. To this, follow your heart. The wise youth considers first his creator and desires that his actions, prompted by his heart, gives honor to the Lord. And then note the next verse or the next statement. But know... But no, this is contrasted. If you remember last week, the preacher kept saying, these things you don't know, you don't know, you don't know, you don't know. And now he's saying you do know. This is what you know, or know this, that God, know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. But no, you will stand before a holy God And let me be literal here. Um, Sometimes we like to elucidate the, the grammar, and the grammar here is important. The definite article stands before both judgment and God. So let me read this literally. Or how I would understand it literally. But know that for all these things, the God will bring you into the judgment. God, the judge, is always near. In Job chapter 28, 24, he writes, For he, God, looks to the end of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. But know this, the God, the creator of all things, your judge will bring all things into the judgment. I'm assuming he is speaking of the final, that last judgment. You and I will stand before God Almighty. So pursue your heart. If you are a fool, you will pursue Pursue it in an unwise way, but you will stand before the God at the judgment. Pursue your heart. If you are the wise youth and you are placing God as your ultimate joy and you're seeing all of these good things that God has given you, but they are not ultimate, that God is ultimate, pursue them. But know this, that you will stand before your creator at the judgment. Priority is given to God and his word. One should never make their desires their priority. So celebrate youth, but flee youthful passions. We see this in 2 Timothy 
Chapter 2, 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue righteousness and flee youthful passions. Be godly. The wise follow a heart that has been transformed by the grace of God to desire what God desires. The fool follows his heart that is by nature opposed to God. Either way, you will stand before your judge at the judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 tells us this. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. The author of Hebrews is certainly echoing the author of Ecclesiastes. But know this, you will stand before the God at the judgment. And then the author goes and says, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body for youth and the and the dawn of life or vanity. Remove, remove vexation. Vexation, um, according, uh, stealing from Michael Eaton in his commentary, he says, vexation is any problem that causes worry or concern. Derek Kidner, I think, puts it even better. He says, anger from your heart, bitterness provoked by a hard and disappointing world. Remove vexation. Remove bitterness that has been provoked by a hard and disappointing world. It is not profitable and it does not result in godliness. Prayer, fellowship, accountability are great remedies if we are to put away vexation. And then put away pain from your body. I wrestled with this and I won't give you all the ugly details. But basically I would summarize it this way. Take care of mental and physical health. And so youth is to be celebrated. It, like being aged, is a time to rejoice. But know this. Note the word vanity. Youth is fleeting. Youth is a mist. Youth is here today and gone tomorrow. And being young is not the meaning of life. We do not worship at the idol of youth. Whether we are old or whether we are young, if we are old, there is no fulfillment in being young. And being young, you are not the end-all, be-all of, of human existence. And besides that, you will get old. It is not the meaning or the essence of life. And so, here we see the preacher saying, Are you old? Are you young? Rejoice in the God who has made you. And he's given us reasons why? And he's also balanced it out. If you're old, remember, you've got dark days ahead, but they're temporary. And if you're young, live a life of joy, but remember, your youth is also fleeting. It is also temporary, and one day you will be old. So, that's our first part. The second part, when we get into chapter 12, um, the admonition here is to remember your Creator. And let me remind you something very important about this, what we're about to look at in the remainder of our text. The main point of what we're about to read is about the judgment of God. That is, we will all stand before a holy God and give account. Do not lose that focus. We're going to be going through this poem. It's a, it's a, it's a spectacular poem. And especially those of you who are old, are probably going to be saying amen to a lot of this. 
you're going to be saying, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, I can relate to that. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. But remember, this is not about old age. This is about we will stand before our God and Creator. And so the preacher exhorts us, remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. To remember is more than a mental exercise. It is to drop our pretense of self-sufficiency and commit ourselves to Him. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 and 18 helps us here. It says this, Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. So, remember is more than just a mental exercise. It has the idea of taking action. In fact, when God remembers, God acts. A a great example is God remembered Hannah and remembered her barrenness. Now, when God remembered Hannah, He didn't just say, oh yeah, I remember Hannah. Yeah, she's kind of that lady who lives, you know, over in Israel. I remember her. Yeah, I remember when she was born. Yeah, nice lady. Now, when it says that God remembered her, it is speaking of God preparing to act on her behalf. To remember is not just a mental exercise of recalling something that happened in the past, but it is a call to action. It is a call to do something. When we take the Lord's Supper, we remember the the death of our Lord and Savior, His sacrifice on our behalf. And it is not just we remember uh, an ancient event that happened a couple thousand years ago in a faraway place. But we are joining ourselves in union to Christ and with one another. We are saying that we have made a commitment to follow the one who gave all for us. Not just, oh yeah, I recall those events happened. Oh yeah, I read about them in the history book. Oh yeah, I read about them in the Bible just last week. It's more than that. It is a participation in something. So, The Christian faith is a faith of remembrance. So remember your Creator. Remember your Creator. I think the preacher here was very, very precise in choosing his word for Creator. Because at the root of this word is the Hebrew Hebrew word bara. You should know the word bara. Because only God baras. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God barad. He created. Now you're saying, well, wait a second. Lots of things create. Spiders create spider webs. And I have created a fantastic piece of, piece of art or composed a, uh, an incredible symphony. I have created. That is a different word. And it is never used with God as the subject. And the word bara is never used with a human or a created thing as a subject. Only God creates uniquely. Only God baras. So remember the one who made you. 
Remember the one who created you. This is a direct call. The preacher's taking us back to Eden. He's taking us back to the beginning. Remember the one who made you. The preacher is fond of taking us back to Eden. In doing so, he has reminded us of the universality of sin and its effects. We've learned of God's gracious rescue. So, remember the one who made you. Remember the one whom you rebelled against. And remember the one who saved you by his grace. Remember him. Do not forget the one who barraz. Do not forget your creator, the one who made you, the one you rebelled against, and the one who saved you by his grace and by his mercy. Remember him. So, remember your creator in the evil days. Do not let, do not wait to join with God in his plans. In your vibrant days, in your youth, remember that you are accountable to God. You may think that you're going to live forever. You might think that the future is bright. But if you forget the creator in these days, it is likely you will not consider him in the dark days ahead. Remember him in your youth. If you say, I think I'm just going to go and sow my wild oats and have a good time, and then when everything, when I've exhausted all of that, then I will remember my Creator. That sounds like a good plan, but I can tell you this, the majority of time it fails. You will not come back and say, well, now I'm going to get get serious with the things of God. The majority of time, you will forget your Creator. If you are not prepared to remember your Creator now while there is youth and vibrancy in your life, what makes you think you're going to remember Him? After your heart has become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, that you will remember Him when you get older, when life gets hard. So remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. There are coming days when it's just going to be hard. Statistics say that people who put off calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved until they're older uh, come to Christ much less frequently. Much less frequently. The majority of people come and confess Christ as Lord in the days of their youth. So remember him now. And then the preacher begins a poem. And it is an incredible poem. The rest of the text is the poem. And basically what the preacher does is he parallels an old house with a decaying, with a life that is deteriorating with an aging person. So just like we have a house that is deteriorating when it is as it ages, so he parallels it with the human person who is growing older and aging and falling apart. It's an incredible it's an incredible poem. And so a house that is deteriorating parallels the person that is aging. Philip Ryken says the reality of mortality is how he defined the poem. Now let me just say this, the poem is not intended to be depressing. You might take it as depressing, the author's not intending it to be depressing, but rather he is urging the reader to remember our creator, that's at the heart of this. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, because you are a house, 
And one day that house will grow old and one day that house will collapse. So remember your creator. That's what he's doing. We will all stand in judgment. It was not meant to highlight the aging process. It is about being judged by your creator. He is the source of our life and we are created to be empty without him. And so here we go. Before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. We begin to see this decay. We see sun and moon and stars. Once again, I think there's a return to Eden here where God has created the sun and the moon and the stars. Only here they take on apocalyptic imagery. When the Bible talks about the end of days often, it talks about the sun dimming and the moon growing dark and the stars falling from the sky. So before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened, remember your Creator. Talks about the clouds that return after the rain, which is an interesting uh, way of stating um, that clouds return after the rain, not blue skies. So it rains, the clouds grow and it rains, and then you expect blue skies. You think everything's going to get better, but it doesn't. Clouds return. Clouds come back. In other words, we do not recover quickly from physical and financial setbacks. When you're young, if you break an arm, it's nothing for you to get back at it again. A little time in the cast, that's about it. You're up and going again. When you're old and you break your arm, it's serious business. It's going to take a long time to heal. If you need surgery when you're young, Man, you're back at it. As you get older and you need surgery, you do not recover nearly as quickly. When you're young and you experience financial setback, if the stock market um, crashes or goes berserk when you are 25 and you lose all of your savings, man, you got a long time to recover again. If you're 75, the dark clouds return. That's the idea. As you are young, as you begin to age, there is less time to recover from both physical and financial difficulties. The sun and light in chapter 11, verse 7, are sources of joy, but here they are dark, and old age is like the coming of the storm. And strength begins to ebb. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dim and the doors on the streets are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. The idea here, um, most many Bible students see basically the idea here is that arms and legs begin to weaken Molars, grinders, teeth fall out. Eyesight dims. Hearing suffers. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble, the strong men are bent. They can no longer hold up this house. The grinders cease because they are few. We have fewer teeth. And those who look through the window are dim. Our eyes begin to dim. We don't see as well. And the doors 
on the street are shut. Hearing suffers. When the sound of the grinding is low, we don't hear as well. And one rises up at the sound of the bird. This one just cracked me up. I I thought the, the contrast is interesting. On the one hand, our hearing begins to grow Uh, we don't hear as well. But then, just a little bird in the morning and we're wide awake. We don't, it's like the slightest noise wakes us up. We don't hear what you're saying to us. Turn the TV up, I can't hear it. Then when I'm asleep, just the slightest little noise and I'm wide awake. The fate of the aging. The house is growing dilapidated. It is falling apart. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. We are, as one ages, we are afraid of what is high, taking risks, is more concerning, less confident in one's ability. We become like the blossoming almond tree, basically that grows white, your hair grows white. Desire fades, this is likely a reference to sexual desire, but it could be an appetite for food. And so arms and legs weaken, teeth fall out, eyesight grows dim, hearing suffers. We become less certain about our abilities and we become less confident in our abilities. Our hair gets white, our desire fades. And here the grasshopper drags itself. That's an interesting (laughs) metaphor because what do grasshoppers do? They jump, they hop. But here the grasshopper no longer jumps and no longer hops. It just drags itself along. Vibrancy is reduced. Man is going to his eternal home. So here we see the picture of this once beautiful structure, this beautiful house getting older and dilapidating and starting to fall apart. And then it collapses before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Eventually, the house falls. Six through seven would be a reference. There's a a number of challenges with this this image, but the idea is um, function ceases the golden bowl, perhaps, um, and the the silver chain, perhaps that which held the light in the house that collapses. Perhaps it is the means by which one drew up water um, to um, um, to provide water for the houses, and uh, that that ceases to function. Basically, functioning stops. Functioning ceases. Something beautiful is broken. The curse of Eden applies to all. And back to Genesis, we return to dust. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity. The book of Ecclesiastes concludes as the book of Ecclesiastes began. Life is fleeting. Vanity of vanities, life is fleeting. It's a mist, it's a vapor. Be wise, be joyful. 
be bold. Remember God, whether you are young or whether you are old or somewhere in between. Life is short and you will face your creator. You will stand before him. Remember God. Remember him whether you are young or old. You are but a breath. So a quick summary. You and I will return to our maker. Remember him now. Remember him now. Knowing him now is the most important thing. And let me just give you uh, maybe a little bit of encouragement. Your creator remembers you. Look at... Look at John chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. This is Jesus speaking. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What a great promise. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. God has not forgotten those who have called upon his name. Remember your Creator. He has not forgotten you. This life is short. It's coming to an end. I don't care what age you are. You will come to an end. That house will fall down. Or the Lord will return. One of the two. Either way, you will stand before the God who remembers you. He remembers whether or not you rejected Him or whether or not you have accepted Him. And here Jesus said, I know those who called upon my name and I will raise them up on the last day. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 um, has some very interesting, a very interesting statement. It says, Paul writes, For we know that if the tent, that is this earthly dwelling, this house, my body, we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so the preacher talks about this house that is falling apart, that is collapsing, that is eroding away, that is growing old and feeble and weak, and ultimately it falls to the ground. And Paul says, yes, we have a tent. We have a house, this earthly house. It is collapsing, but we have a heavenly house. One that is eternal. It is our eternal, it is our heavenly dwelling and we long to put on that building, that house. So in Second Corinthians 4.16, just prior to the verse I just read, here's Paul's words. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self, this house, is wasting away our inner self, is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They're passing, they're missed, they're vanity. But the things that are are unseen are eternal. And we know that if this tent, this house, this earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. Not made with hands, but it is eternal in the heavens. And Christ has not, your Creator has not forgotten about you. So I'll conclude with this. And I'll be honest, I stole my conclusion. I stole it from Charles Swindoll. It's a really good conclusion. I read a number of sermons, and I'm not the only one who has stolen his conclusion. Three points that I think summarize things well. Number one, we're not getting any younger. And I think we can all say amen to that. I love this. God designed us to be empty without Him. 
You are designed to be unsatisfied outside of a relationship with the Almighty God. That's the way you were made. You were not made to be fulfilled with sex and drugs and rock and roll. You just weren't made that way. You were made to be empty without the eternal God. And finally, now is the time to prepare for eternity. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. And I would like to invite anybody who has never made a commitment to Christ, who has not remembered their creator, who has not made him the priority in their life, I would just like to invite you at this time. Um, We're going to be singing another song um, when we're done. I'm going to be out by the door, the back door, greeting people as they leave. Come and talk to me. Or if during the song you just come on up and and say, man, I need to know about the Creator and to remember Him. Um, I would love to spend a few moments talking with you about what it means to be a follower of Christ and what it means to acknowledge your Creator as the Lord of all and to remember Him. And I don't care what your age is, the house is falling apart but we have an eternal house made in heaven and it will never collapse and it will never deteriorate. And I would love to talk with you about that and uh, show you how God has made a way for you to participate in that household. So Father God,